the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. If you feel like work is consuming your life, you're not alone. We've all been taught that hard work pays off, but all that extra time in the workplace isn't necessarily a good thing. After a certain point, it can be counterproductive and even hazardous to your health. What if it was possible to achieve more by doing less? Today's guest, Kate Northrup, was committed to working long hours until the fatigue she experienced during her pregnancy was so strong that it forced her to slow down. She feared that making this shift would affect her business, but it turned out that her company earned just as much as when she was entrenched in her job. Kate realized that by doing less, she was more productive and happier, and she gained more freedom in return. Kate is the author of the book, Do Less. Welcome, Kate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So, Kate, we've all been taught that if we work hard, we succeed, and the harder we work, the more we succeed. But science is now showing that the extra work can be counterproductive and even bad for our health. Tell us what your life was like before you were told to slow down. Well, I'll never forget this one time that my husband and I, um, he was my boyfriend at the time, but we were visiting my mother and we were staying with her for a couple of weeks. And I remember her pulling me aside and saying, honey, you're going to have to figure out how the two of you can be less attached your laptops. And it was such interesting feedback because I hadn't ever really identified as an overworker before. But from that moment forward, I started noticing my tendency to work instead of live. And Mm -hmm. I run a company with my husband. And so it does seep into a lot of our personal life, which I love. But at the time, I didn't have good boundaries. And we just we worked a lot. We put in a lot of hours. And what you just described, Kate, I I know that resonates with so many people. I mean, it it does with me. I I have my own business. And so I do the same thing. I find myself if um, I don't feel like watching television or if I'm not going out, I'll just go on the computer and work. And that's what so many of us do. And then we find ourselves, like you said, not living, just working. I think what we have in our culture is a problem where We have a diminishing rate of return, and we think that the more hours we log at the computer, the better our results will be. But the data actually shows that that's not the case. The data shows that after between 24 to 30 hours a week, we're actually not getting anything done. We're just putting in the time. Mm -hmm. And so that time could be much better used for exercising, sleep, pursuing a creative project, getting outside, being with friends and family. And other things, because if it's not, quote unquote, productive time anyway, and we're just staying busy, because that's what a lot of our work hours are, then why not enhance our life in other ways so that when we are putting those hours in, we will do better work, we'll have better ideas, we're more focused, we'll be more engaged and actually far more joyful as well. So, Kate, there may be people listening. 
listening to you that don't really understand when you say they're just staying busy because they think they're working. What are some of the time drains that people fall into? What are those traps that they fall into daily? So a huge one is distraction. The data shows that we get distracted every 11 minutes and that on average it takes us actually 25 minutes to get refocused on what we were doing before. Um, So if you do the math, that basically means during your workday, you're never focused. <laughs> and, <laughs> and distraction well, is the, is distraction is the killer of good work. And so, you know, whether it's people swinging by your desk at the office, it's you looking at your phone, it's the notifications on your email inbox, it's the notifications on your text or social media, or interestingly enough, data is showing that we, even if we're not being interrupted by somebody else or something else, We actually have been so trained to be interrupted every few minutes that we begin to distract ourselves. So even if we're in the middle of writing a blog post or working on a presentation, every 11 minutes or so, we will distract ourselves by starting something else, by opening a web browser, by making a dinner reservation. (laughs) And so as a result, we waste so much time because of that refocusing. And we think, oh, well, I'm multitasking. I'm getting more done. But multitasking is just context switching, and it actually lowers our IQ significantly. I'm smiling as you're speaking because you just described my day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then we get to the end of the day, and we're strung out, we're irritable, and we are so fried, and our ability to make good decisions has completely gone out the window because we have seen that we get what's called decision fatigue. And at the beginning of the day, we have only so much energy and focus for making good decisions. And as the day goes on, it depletes and it depletes and it depletes. And then by the end of the day, that's why we end up sitting in front of the TV, stuffing our face with Oreos, drinking that third glass of wine or, you know, surfing the internet way, way later than we wanted to go to bed. So Kate, you were told to slow down and and everything that you just explained to us, we know why, but how did you go about doing it? What were the first things that you cut out? And when did you start to see the benefits? Great question. And so it was the first time in my life when I got pregnant with my first daughter that I literally couldn't just push through something. I mean, any other circumstance in my life, I, I could just work harder to get through it. But my body just, it was so strange. I just literally could not. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I, um, I, ha- I was forced to cut out the extraneous. And so what I did somewhat intuitively, but then systematically later, is I really took a good look at, at my life and my business. And I looked at the 80-20 rule, Pareto's principle. What 20% of my activities were getting me 80% of the results? And then in the limited hours I had, I knew the bare minimum of things that I needed to get done to basically move the needle and keep the ship afloat. And so I devoted my time first and foremost to those things. And then if there was anything left over, I would devote it to new projects or other activities. But mostly there wasn't anything left over. And what was so shocking to me is at the end of that first year, because I had trained myself to do my 20% of activities that got me 80% of the results, when we sat with our accountant, we realized our business was solid. Like our mm-hmm. revenue had stayed the same. And so that is what I recommend is looking at what are the 80% of results that you get from 20% of your activities? Because that Pareto's principle will apply across the board. If you look at what your big wins are, they will have been caused by about 20% of your activities. And the rest of the time, we're spending a lot of time doing busy work That's just not like a great use of our time, or at least not a great use of our most focused, highest productive hours. Kate, once you identified the 20%, how did you acquire that discipline? What did you start to do to keep yourself on task? I make a list. What did you do? I do something similar, although I make a weekly to-do list. So what I was finding is that when I made a daily to-do list, A, it got overwhelming because I was writing down every single thing I could possibly ever do ever. And it was sort of becoming this Mm catch-all piece of paper for my brain. And then instead of helping me stay focused and organized, my to-do list was making me feel overwhelmed. So I look at what my body needs that week, because if we don't tend to our bodies first, our, you know, our productivity will take a nosedive. And when we don't take care of our bodies, our bodies will force us to take care of them by taking us out, you know, by illness and and lack of energy. And so I look at that. 
I look at a couple other factors. What are my priorities for the week? Um, how am I feeling? And even what's going on astrologically. I, I love to add in what's going on cosmically so that I can get that extra support. And then I make a weekly to-do list based on those factors, based on my priorities, what my body's needing, what my heart is needing, and then what's going on in terms of cosmic support. And that weekly to-do list, I ask myself for every single item, does this need to be done? Like, am I just writing this down because it's an idea that I could do sometime later? Um, and does this really need to be done? Like, is it a, is it a busy work step? Am I overcomplicating things? Or, or is it, in fact, a necessary item to get the result I want? And then I ask, does it need to be done by me? So if it does need to be done, then the second question is, does it need to be done by me? Um, oftentimes, there are other key players in our life who can do things, whether it's our partners, our children, our family locally, um, someone we work with, a neighbor. You know, there's all sorts of examples where uh, where we can just ask for help. Um, and so that's huge. And then the last one is, does it need to be done right now? Because again, oftentimes we use our to-do list as a holder for our the entire contents of our brain and our memory. But if it's a task that can be done next week or a couple weeks from now, don't put it on your to-do list for the week. Put it on uh, put it in a project management software or your calendar or some other system. And I only allow my to-do list to take up one half of one side of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And if it's getting, if there's something else that needs to go on the list beyond that, either something else has to get taken off the list or that thing doesn't make it on because the, the number one reason people are overwhelmed and exhausted is because they're simply doing too many things. You just mentioned um, something and you even said the word huge after you said it, delegating and asking for help, particularly for women. We have a very difficult time with this. I, I know for myself, I never like to quote unquote bother anyone. How were <laughs> you able to move past that, that thought process of being uh, someone imposing or bothering when asking for help? Oh, I'm so glad you're asking me this question. I love talking about asking for help because it is such a challenge for so many of us. And for me, um, having children helped a lot because I suddenly realized that raising tiny people is a lot of work. And if I wanted to be well-resourced as a mother, the only way I was going to get through it is to ask for help. You know, I didn't want to be a, a, a shattered shell of a human. Right. For my mm -hmm. girls, like I want to I want to show them what it looks like to be energized and joyful as a woman, as you know, as a model for them. And and the only way I can do that is by being by creating a village. And so in my village, literally our neighbors are my husband, are my high school friends, parents locally. It's my mother, my my father, my bonus mom. Um, and being part of an interdependent community like that, first of all, it actually boosts our immunity. So the data shows that when we are part of an interwoven social web, and we actually are spending time with multiple different social groups in person each week, our immunity is massively enhanced. But building that community has helped me so much because one of the greatest factors for joy and happiness is that sense of belonging. And so I do believe in whether it's joining a mom's group, whether it's joining a local a mastermind in your business or, or your work, whether it's joining a mentoring circle, you know, finding that circle of people who can support you and who you can support because it's not just about asking for help. It's also about being there for others. So one of my best friends from high school just had a baby this week and she needed to go, she needed to get a probiotic for her baby that is only sold at a store 25 minutes away. And I happened to be going by the store. So I just, you know, offered to get the probiotic for her and drop it back off because she's home with a newborn and it's her third kid, you know, so she's got a lot going on. And so it's so that we can lean on others when we need support and so that they can lean on us when they need support, because not all of us will go down at the same time. Usually in community, the reason we have community is so that when we are when we are resourced, we can share our resources. And when we are under resourced, we can receive resources. So being part of that ebb and flow um, and really understanding how much better we are together came through motherhood, but has 
you know, it's part of my business. It's part of networking with women, connecting with women, um, just really being there for each other is so key. And I have learned from experience that the more vulnerable I am and the more willing to ask for help that I am, the closer my relationships have become because people feel connected in a way that they never did when I was pretending I had it all together. It goes back to the saying, it takes a village. And somewhere along the way, we got this notion that we can't ask for help. So it is, it's a sense of community. As you said, there are times when you may need help, but there are other times when you give help. And and that's really what life should be about. Totally. And I think that we've so lost that in our massively independent society that's so focused on personal achievement and, you know, getting ahead and kind of this lone wolf, I can do everything myself mentality. And honestly, it's really hurting our society. It's hurting our heart. It's hurting our health. It's hurting our families. You know, I I just think it's so important for children. And actually, the data shows that the rates of teen depression and teen suicide go down when they know that there are multiple people who are adults who care about them and who love them. And I want my girls to, of course, I want them connected to me. That's a huge priority. But I also want them to have a lot of different, a lot of different mothers, you know, a feeling of belonging, that they are safe with me, that they are safe with their grandparents, that they're safe with their neighbors. I just know how critical that is for their well-being long term. Kate, do you think we make things harder than they need to be? Has freeing up this time <laughs> <Yes>. and, stream- <laughs> I know, and streamlining everything, have you found that it has made your life less complicated? You know, I think partially um, my life is a little bit less complicated because I am in those early days of motherhood where routine is so key. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my girls just with bedtime and with getting out of the house and our dinner routine, it just it helps everybody feel more calm. But what's so cool is I've taken that and I've applied it to other areas of my life that have nothing to do with my kids. So my weekly planning ritual, for example, the rituals my husband and I do each week around our finances, um, our weekly scheduling meeting, uh, the way we meet with our accountant, you know, it's all become this beautiful beautiful structure of just the essentials. So I really look through the filter at everything from the perspective of what is the minimum amount of effort needed to put in here to get the maximum viable result. So, you know, take planning a kid's birthday party, for example, the maximum viable result that I want or the maximum result that I want is to have a good time celebrating my kid. And so, you know, having a perfectly themed birthday party with a million different decorations and a hired rent-a-princess and the goodie bags and the perfect food and 55 kids is way too much time and energy to put in, in my opinion, for what I would want for a three-year-old birthday party. (laughs) So that's an example where I really simplify and I look at, okay, what's the minimum? And so for for us, as an example, my three-year-old's birthday party, we had the grandparents come over. We had one of our best friends and we had bagels and everyone had a great time. And my three-year-old was not totally overwhelmed. She felt really joyful and celebrated. And so we all got what we wanted. And I, you know, I put maybe an hour or two into that party as opposed to what I've seen other people do. We're out there doing these things that are just not necessary. And in the process, we're depleting our well and we're not having anything to give. There's nothing left in us. And and self-care ends up at the bottom of the list. And in all of this, it really needs to be up at the top because if we're not taking care of ourselves and if we're run down and if we're depleted, we can't take care of anyone else. We can't do all of the things that we say we want to do when we're not taking care of ourselves. My husband got really, really sick last year and he's fine now, but it was a good six weeks where he was down for the count. And it was such a stark reminder of how if we don't have our health, we have nothing. And it was a very difficult time for our family with two young kids and, you know, running our company. And I was needing to really do most of all of that by myself. And again, it, I was I was forced to look at, okay, what's the bare minimum here? Because I knew I couldn't go down while he was down. And so it's so critical for us to look at small ways we can make deposits 
in our own well-being account every day. And it doesn't have to be major. I mean, I am not like doing three-hour morning rituals. <laughs> My self-care is very simple. The book is Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management for Busy Moms. If you'd like to learn more about Kate and her work, you can visit katenorthrup.com. Kate, in our final moments, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would like to remind everyone listening that your worth is not equal to your productivity. Your worth is inherent by simply being here. And so what it's really about is how can you get what you want um, while still feeding your own well, as you said, while, while moving into renewal as opposed to depletion and really unhooking from that obsession with busyness. Kate, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing ways that we can be more productive by doing less. We are spinning in every direction, so this is a good reminder for us to slow down and start living. So thank you for spending time with us. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 973- 722-1154. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today is Dr. Katherine Berndorf, co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant and new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. Dr. Berndorf is co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. She's here today to discuss emotions during and after pregnancy. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Joan. So, Dr. Berndorf, I remember when I was pregnant. I had no idea what to expect or how I would be feeling. What are some of the most common emotions a woman experiences during pregnancy and after? Well, what I'd like to tell you, first and foremost, is that there are a wide range of emotions. So the idea that someone should just feel good or feel, you know, kind of blissed out or that everything's great because pregnancy is protective, that is a myth. 
and the idea that someone is miserable, thankfully, is also not typically the norm, right? So, but what I want people to think about is that there is this wide range of normal emotions that range from, you know, some days you're sad, some days you're happy, some days you're completely freaked out that you've done this thing and you've gotten pregnant and you're going to have this human being. So it's just anything goes, everything's legitimate if you're feeling it. What I'd say is if it's a feeling that is distressing, disturbing, or you don't like that goes on more than just for a day or an hour or a week, you know, and it starts to take hold, that's a different thing. So I know that doesn't exactly answer your question, but it's I'm trying to paint a picture there. Well, it does actually, because I know, having been a mother twice, having two pregnancies, especially the first time, you have this belief, and you just described it, where you've just been part of this miracle and everything should be wonderful and you should be happy. And when you don't feel that way, there's all this guilt. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. you start to think, well, this is the most joyous time of my life. Why am I not feeling joyful? So I could imagine, you know, what goes through someone's mind and and that it would be very important for us to understand that the range is normal. Absolutely. I think that the, the, the belief that you're describing and the guilt that comes from not meeting your own expectations or societal expectations is enormous. So women feel guilty. And in worst cases, they feel shame. They feel like they cannot admit that it is their private secret to be kept quiet because it's so embarrassing and awful that it makes them bad and defective to feel like to feel ambivalent which by the way I say is like a defining word in pregnancy and postpartum like I love this but I hate this or I love this and I hate this at the same time people I I think that that scares many of us I know I felt that way myself how can this be I wanted this and I don't want this it's 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 remarkable and to, to not talk about it allows it to take hold, to become shameful. Who are you going to tell? They're going to think you're crazy. It's a really confusing time. So I think the more we can talk about the idea that it's confusing, that there's a lot of ambivalence, it it will normalize the experience, like I'm saying, of this wide range that goes on for all of us. What are some of the warning signs that it might be a little bit more serious and not just normal, you know, part of normal physical changes? Generally speaking, it can be confusing, you know, sort of the first trimester of pregnancy and that first, you know, once the baby's born in that sort of fourth trimester, first three months of pregnancy, you really have a lot of the same signs and symptoms of depression, let's say, because your appetite's disturbed, your sleep is disturbed, your energy level is off. And all those things are also signs and symptoms of, you know, those physical times in your life and things that can be emotionally um, challenging, and they are symptoms of depression and anxiety in some cases. It is more when you start to have feelings like that life isn't worth living, that this is, I feel despairing. I feel like, um, you know, I can't sleep when the baby's sleeping. I feel like I just want to escape. And and what did I do? And why did I do this to myself? And I, I feel like I've ruined my life. I feel defective. There's, I don't see anything forward looking. That is really, these are signs that something else is going on. And by the way, they're very common. They don't always mean you have a disorder, but they do mean that you have to talk to someone to figure out, you know, how bad is it? What are some things that we can do on our own to manage these symptoms? Well, I think first and foremost is being honest and, and being true to yourself and acknowledging that something's happening. So if you keep sweeping it under the rug, that's a problem. But I think if you have a, a supportive partner or a best friend or a family member that you can talk to, talk, 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 and talk some more. Because if it's scaring someone, then that's a reflection that maybe there is something going on and you need to tell someone else. If you're scaring yourself, then again, these are all, if you can say it out loud, you can begin to see it as real and, and you can get help for it. Because all of these things we're talking about are treatable. Anything that, that, that's going on, you can get help and feel better. So if you can get it out of your mind and your and, and mouth, you can find help for it. 
Doctor, when you go through this time of your life, it's, it really becomes all about another person. How important is self-care in managing the way someone feels, getting proper sleep, nutrition, exercise? Enormous. And, and it can be hard. So I, I want to be clear that um, a lot of people are so judgmental and uh, critical of themselves when they can't get out for even a walk, let alone get to the gym or do what they used to do. But anything you can do and you start small and your expectations have to be low to begin to take care of yourself itself in a way that feels good to you. It's not selfish. A lot of women will say, but I'm so selfish. I, I, I have no business being out there doing something like this. I have to attend to the baby. But it's self-preserving. I'm trying to help people shift the, the frame and say, if you're not okay, nobody's okay, right? You're not going to be able to be a good mother, a good parent, a good spouse, you know, feel like a good person because you're going to be so depleted. So you have to take care of yourself. It's kind of rule number one. If you see yourself in anything that Dr. Berndorf has described, or if you'd like to get more information about Dr. Berndorf and her work, you can visit themotherhoodcenter.com. And to hear more from Dr. Berndorf, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Catherine. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Every adult who was in any way abused in childhood continues to carry the trauma inside. According to today's guest, Dr. Arlene Drake, experiences like these leave a lifelong imprint on the body and mind throughout adulthood unless we can learn to repair and reparent. She offers a powerful roadmap designed to help survivors break free of the lies, secrets, and shame of the past in order to reclaim their genuine self. Welcome, Dr. Drake. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Drake, when we talk about childhood traumas, what are the types of things that we usually carry into adulthood? Well, we can carry numerous things. We could, ha- we could uh, become addicts. We can um, have uh, countless trouble with relationships. We can do a lot of self-sabotage just when we think we are or just when we're getting where we want to be. We do something to knock everything over so we have to start over again. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. It even affects our immune system, they're finding out. It can cause uh, stomach problems, gastrointestinal, uh, gynecological problems, and, and lower our immune system. So it's many, many things can happen from that. Doctor, what types of traumas are we talking about? Well, we're talking about physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, and even neglect. Neglect is a very, very hard abuse to get over because people don't even recognize it as abuse, yet they often have the same symptoms as everyone else. Are adults always aware why they behave in the way they do, or do we bury the pain so deeply that they're unable to even make the connection? I think that we do bury the pain so deeply we can't make the connection. And I think it's also we want to minimize as much as possible. We don't want to really look at this. So we're having trouble in relationships. We're having trouble at work, but we don't connect the two. We just don't know why we can't do better. Our unconscious is tripping us up. You know, uh, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will, will rule our life and we'll call it fate. So we have to get to that. Doctor, is it possible to suffer abuse in childhood and not carry any of those scars into adulthood? No, I don't think so. And I don't think what the research has shown it can either because you may not remember. You may have a completely blank memory, but everything is carried in the body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the body remembers what the mind forgets. And also your unconscious, the very, very, that, that part of your brain that's almost reptilian keeps all of that trauma. So we may have no actual knowledge, but that will do something to us and we will not know what it is. So doctor, what are some ways that you treat the inner child? Well, one of the things I do when a person first comes to me is I, you know, I, I talk about their inner child and people are, are usually resistant to it. But, you know, I say this is, you have to look back at the kid that was really hurt. How old were you when you remember? How old does it feel? How old do you feel? And I said, when you leave here today, I want you to take this child with you. You're going to be the person that's going to take care of them. And most adults can take care of a child. And it may not be ready to be the parent they want to be, but they can take care of a child. 
And I say, this week, I want you to take care of this child and not do anything that you would do that you wouldn't do if you had a child, real child with you. So if you had road rage, just pretend, you know, and have that child sitting in the car next to you. You wouldn't drive like a maniac if you had road rage. You wouldn't go into unsafe places. You wouldn't get drunk. You'd eat and sleep at, at good, t- you know, proper times for this child. And that's what I want you to practice this week. And it really makes a difference. Doctor, when, when we hear the word abuse, we automatically think of things as physical abuse or sexually abused or assaulted. But as you said, there are different levels of abuse. So taking an example like a child who may have been bullied or or mocked, and now that adult suffers from low self-esteem. So how does your work with that inner child, how does it help that person move forward as an adult? Well, what I have them do in my right-hand, left-hand writing You know, right hand, left hand connects the right side and the left side of the brain. Because, you know, the left side of the brain is the side of the brain that's very logical. One and one are two, and I'll do this and that, and it makes all the plans. And the right side is your creative side, your inner child side. And and in the back of your brain, there's the reptilian brain that carries a lot of the memories. You may not have uh, words for them, but it carries a lot of the memories. And it's important to get to that part to find out what's going on and how that child feels because you know what the, what the adult knows is not necessarily what the child knows it's like asking somebody what does the ocean look like you know the ocean well it's huge it's vast it's it's uh, cold it's uh, warm it depends it, it's different color blues it has waves yes that is what the ocean looks like but that's not really the ocean if you go deep sea diving you're going to find many 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 different worlds down there and that's the same with our unconscious Unless we go deep sea diving into that unconscious, we're only going to know what we know, and that's just the top of everything. It's not everything. So when I have people write with their right hand, left hand, asking questions with their their dominant hand and answering with their non-dominant hand, that you will eventually get the voice of that child and have that child be able to speak its pain and its needs, and that child tell you how it feels. And it's very powerful work. It really gets to the heart of the matter. Do you believe that victims should confront their abusers? Yes, I do. I believe that uh, every victim, well, as long as their abuser is not, uh, you're not feared for your life, mm-hmm. I think it's important because otherwise you will always be looking at that abuser from the eyes of a child. And I get my people to a place to be able to care front because I'm not looking to make a problem. or more, The problem has already been made by the abuser. But I'm looking to see if there's a pathway that could be done made to maybe bridge the gap to have that abuser hear the person for the first time and see what could be done and have the abuser take responsibility. I think it's the only way, even if the abuser doesn't take responsibility, my job is to get my person, my client, to finally really believe themselves, stop doubting themselves, and stand up for themselves. And once they stand up for themselves like that, it's very powerful. The book is Carefrontation, Breaking Free from Childhood Trauma by Arlene Drake. Dr. Drake, in our final moments, what is some advice that you offer to a person who has been abused? Well, I would say it's really important to get yourself into therapy, really important to look into it. I know sometimes it's a frightening thing, but believe me, your life will open up and you will find a a much better world for for you and you could finally become the person you deserve to be and we're meant to be. So get into therapy, start looking at, at, your, at your child part and see what really happened and take care of that child. Dr. Drake, thank you so much for being here with us today and for bringing awareness to this topic. You know, there are so many things, as you said, that happen to us as children that whether we remember them or not, they impact us throughout our entire life. So it's yeah. very important to understand what's going on with, within us and to get the help that's needed. So thank you for your work, and thank you for being an advocate for victims and a voice for them. Thank you. We'll be right back. Did you know that if you don't prevent it, you lose about 5% of your muscle mass every decade after the age of 30? 
And around the age of 65, that process speeds up and can start to affect daily living activities. I'm Christina Nemec, co-founder of PATH Health Consultants. Here at PATH, we focus on using lifestyle to prevent and manage health risks. We're a workplace wellness firm dedicated to improving the bottom line of the organizations we work with. Our innovative, personalized approach to wellness supports employees as they adopt and sustain behaviors that improve or maintain their health. In addition, we offer a variety of health seminars and workshops to companies interested in educating and supporting their employees in a group setting. The clinical term for muscle loss as a result of the aging process is sarcopenia. The condition is exacerbated by physical inactivity and leads to a decrease in both strength and mobility. The primary treatment for sarcopenia is exercise, specifically resistance or strength training. The effects of regular resistance exercise on sarcopenia can be seen in as little as two weeks. It's never too late to start. Physical therapists or certified personal trainers are a great resource for helping you to design an effective program. Remember, either use it or lose it. If you'd like more information on workplace wellness, please contact us at pathhealthllc.com. Do you understand the advantages of early applications to college? Hi, I'm Scott Doty, CEO of Brainstorm Tutoring, an elite network of private academic coaches in the NYC area. So there are two ways to apply to college early, and November 1st is basically the deadline for each of them. One is called early decision, and one is called early action. Now, each one is incredible as a tool for admission, and you need to know what you're getting into when you do them. First, early decision is a legally binding contract, which means if you get into the school after having applied, early decision, you have to go. If you don't go, you could be sued. So you better be ready to commit to that school. And the downside is you have to go if you get in and you have to pay full price. But what's the upside? The huge upside is that for a lot of colleges, the acceptance rate more than doubles if you apply early decision because you're giving them a commitment. And so for those schools that are really incredible and hard to get into otherwise, early decision might be your only way in. Second, early action is a non-binding application, meaning if you do get in, doesn't matter. You don't have to go. You have all the flexibility in the world. You're going to apply November 1st. You'll hear back by December 15th. And if you get in, great. It's another option, but you don't have to go. And you still get a slightly higher acceptance rate if you apply early. So you find out early, but you don't have to go if you get in. And that's a wonderful, flexible option that you're afforded by early action schools. And so any school that offers early action, I suggest you take advantage of it. And you might consider applying early decision to one school if it's really tough to get into otherwise. Again, I'm Scott Doty from Brainstorm. If you have any other questions, check out stormthetest.com. In my 32 years as an insurance professional, I am still amazed to discover how often new people I am helping have little knowledge of what insurance plans they have in force. Most are smart and have made good decisions over their lives, met with their advisors, and took action to protect what's most important to them, their families, assets, businesses, and employees. Maybe they had so much confidence in their advisors, they set things up and never looked back. Maybe life got in the way. But not knowing doesn't allow you to move fast for a current evaluation to see if any changes are needed. You'll end up scrambling or be less apt to review things. Hi, I'm Ed Gaelic, a life and health insurance broker and founder of PSI Consultants, located in Glenrock, New Jersey. We have specialized in personal insurance and company-sponsored health benefits since 1985. When I am introduced to someone new, I need to review their current policies to see if any recommendations are appropriate. But many have little idea what type of coverage they have, their benefit levels, even their premiums, and many have no idea where their policies are. This can keep someone with inadequate or the wrong protection with inadequate or the wrong protection. Maybe their original planning was right on the mark. That does happen, but I often find policies with an expiration date. This is a real problem for those with the desire for a long-term or permanent solution. So all the planning someone spends so much time on will be invalid at some point, typically when they need the protection the most. That's why I always suggest a second set of eyes to review your policies. Life and circumstances change. The financial environment changes. Laws change. Solutions change. So it's important to review what you've already done. So you need to be organized and know where you keep these important documents, and better yet, know what you have. A broker or agent worth his or her weight in salt can sift through that information quickly. Then you'll get the appropriate guidance to ensure you and what you value is best protected. To contact us and learn more, please visit our website, psi-consultants.com. After your divorce is signed, sealed, and delivered, there is a reality. 
money is not what it used to be. Based on your reduced income, your expenses are more. Adding insult to injury, you are probably paying off attorney fees, possible refinance costs, along with others associated with divorce. This is Jackie Atchison, certified divorce coach and founder at Better Path to Divorce, giving you some pointers on how to save money so you can get back on your feet quicker. Make a budget and stick to it as closely as possible. It is easier than ever with all the budget apps online. Pay your bills on time and online. This saves time and money on late fees. If you can't pay your credit cards off in full each month, make the minimum payment. Going forward, unless there is a true emergency, vow not to put any money on your credit card that you can't pay off in full each month. Learn to live within your means. Recalculate your payroll deductions. A married deduction versus a single deduction can wreak havoc on you at tax time if not done properly now. Stay out of stores and no online shopping. It's that simple. Don't tempt yourself. Eliminate takeout for your pocketbook and your health. There are so many ways to make your life financially easier, and my list is endless. Relieving some of the financial pressure will allow you to focus on the good things. Having gratitude and a positive outlook brings more abundance into your life. Together, we can do this. To learn more about me and divorce coaching, visit me at BetterPathToDivorce.com. Do you find yourself struggling with what to wear but don't have the time or know-how to pull it all together? Hi, this is Sonica Guadara, and I am a certified personal fashion stylist and founder of Style by Sonica. Research shows that people who are well-groomed are assumed to be more competent. We all know how important first impressions count. Looking good in your clothes inspires self-confidence, and when you consistently make good impressions, you gain the trust of others. Wearing the right clothes can affect all areas of your life, from getting that dream job to finding a partner. My job as a personal fashion stylist is that I can show you what complements your body type and what colors suit you. It's not about following trends, but about clothes that suit your personality and body type. To learn more about me and personal styling, visit me at stylebysonica.com. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Amy Collins, author of the book Infant Inspiration and creator of the online course Moms, Courageous Women Raising the Next Generation. Amy promotes thoughtful conversations around motherhood. Her insightful perspectives look to empower mothers to own their role, clarify how it works best for them, and confidently express it. She's here today to discuss how moms can learn from their children. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joe. Nice to be here. So, Amy, as parents, we often think that we're the ones that are teaching our children, but you believe that moms can learn from their children. Why do you believe that that's the case? You know, Joan, I've always looked to learn from everyone I encounter. So as a new mom, instead of allowing myself to be only overwhelmed with my new role, as we know motherhood is a wonderful experience, but it's also very much of an overwhelming experience at times. And instead of allowing myself just to be overwhelmed with my new role and my newborn, I thankfully realized that this little baby was just like any other person in my life and that this little person offered me a wonderful opportunity to learn from them. And so that's what I want to encourage other mothers to do. In fact, John Chambers, one of your recent guests, uh, the former CEO of Cisco, during your interview with him, he stated what I firmly believe as well, that we are able to learn from everyone. And that mentality is key, especially as a mother with children. And it's carried me through to my current stage with my teenage girls. <laughs> and I'm still learning every day. What's something that you have learned from your children? Uh, I'd say one of the most fun and helpful lessons I've learned is to encourage a playful spirit. And when I say that, you know, um, it's easy as a mom and it's almost too easy to make the role of mom one of just a serious one, you know what I mean? And, you know, mothers, we have to keep the ship from capsizing most of the time, right? We have to keep everyone on schedule and eating right and dressing appropriately and getting homework done. 
But what we need to remember is that doesn't always have to be done with such a serious spirit. We, you know, we can be responsible and a bit playful at the same time. Like, for example, I, I make some one-line silly jokes when we're in the midst of our daily routine. Or I tickle my kids when I walk by them. Um, or, you know, when they were younger, I remember when I would straighten up the playroom sometimes, I'd set their toys up as though they were playing a game, their stuffed animals were having tea or something. So when the girls came in in the morning, it was kind of something fun and different. Little things like that, acting like a mermaid in the pool or just remembering that as mothers, we're never too old to play. Whether it's with them or our spouses, it's important, you know, to encourage a playful spirit. And really, Joan, if, if I can also just define play, it's often defined as a creative way to interact with the world around us. And um, when we hear that definition, that's an, an important activity, not only for children, but for all of us to enjoy throughout our entire life. So, Amy, for a mother who wants to take on this perspective, what resources do you recommend? I had the good fortune of reading the book, Children Are From Heaven, by John Gray, when my first daughter was a newborn. And in that book, Gray's message is that children already have within them what they need to grow. And our job as a parent is to learn from them and support that process. And it was really his message that sparked in me to recognize not only are they from heaven and do they have everything they need, but they're also born to help us as parents, as mothers, uh, specifically learn different life, life lessons. And, you know, in fact, Joan, you know, I also just published a book called Infant Inspiration. And in it is composed 16 different lessons. It's all really easy to read, especially for a mom with a newborn, but different lessons that I deemed as essential life lessons that I learned for my children, specifically when they were newborns. Amy, thank you so much for being here with us today. If you would like to learn more about Amy, more about her book or her work, you can visit amymcollins.com. And as always, to hear more from Amy, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Amy. Hi, this is Joan Herman. I am honored to be a special ambassador for the 2019 Coleman, North Jersey Race for the Cure. I hope that you'll join me and my race team on Sunday, May 5th at Liberty State Park for this 5K fun walk and 5K timed run. Sign up for my team at cyacyl.com slash Coleman. That's cyacyl.com slash Coleman. Join the fight. Save lives. Register now. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.